Welcome to the Creative Coaching Podcast, where we bring together coaches, athletes, former athletes, leaders, and influencers. Everyone has a story, and my hope is that when you listen to their stories, you will be inspired and live your life to tell your story one day. Today's guest is Peter Gash. Coach Gash is an experienced Division I coach. We talked to him today about having self-awareness, about having balance and healthy relationships, and about self-care and family. I hope you enjoy this podcast and you look to get better every day. Welcome to the podcast, Coach. Hey, Mike. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, Coach Gash, I, uh, I really appreciate you coming on. We, uh, we connected via social and, uh, you know, kind of just going down the line of where you've been, uh, where, you, you know, the impact that I believe when you're at that many locations with that kind of staff and those kind of head coaches, uh, man, I know something great's happened in your career and in your life by virtue of that. And so, like I said, I'm just, you know, thankful to have you on and, and uh, glad you took, you know, you're taking the time and making the time to be on. So uh, I want to start off the way I start off every episode, Coach, in that how are you introduced to the game of basketball? Yeah, so, you know, my, my story about how I got into coaching and how I got into to basketball is a little bit different from a lot of other people. Um, my father grew up in Hendersonville, uh, North Carolina, and um, he ended up moving to New York City and marrying an Italian woman. So a Southerner marrying an Italian woman was... Yeah was a little bit different at the time, but he was a diehard North Carolina uh, basketball fan. So when I grew up and I started taking an interest into basketball, he put me right into to Michael Jordan and North Carolina and took me down to see a game when I was younger at the University of North Carolina and just kind of fell in love with it. Um, you know, always kind of wanted to, to, to watch it on TV. You know, my mom and, and dad were telling me stories when I was younger about recording all those Bulls games, watching them over and over again. That's kind of how I got introduced to basketball. And, you know, we were lucky enough to grow up in a time to be able to watch Michael Jordan play, you know, you know, almost 82 times a year. And uh, we got a chance to see his passion, his competitiveness, and fell in love with the game from there and um, played, you know, at, at a high school with some really good players and got a chance to just get around it as much as I could. And once I, once I started getting the addiction, I, I couldn't really turn it off. So, you know, I never passed up an opportunity to talk about the GOAT. Uh, that's how I fell in love with the game as well, watching Michael Jordan. And, uh, man, that was it. That's who I wanted to be. That's who I wanted to emulate. N- never mind the shoes and the uh, the notoriety and the swag and all that. I just saw somebody who inspired me and who I loved to watch play and said, yeah, that's what I want to do. Whatever he's doing, that's what I want to do. I didn't realize there was any kind of player development. <laughs> there was any kind of, uh, you know, uh, camps yet. And I just saw this. I saw him, and I said, this is it. This is what I want to do. I, I can do this too. So, yeah, the love for the Bulls, you know, that went on to, like, collecting too much memorabilia that I still own to this day. Yeah. I, I, I kid you not, Coach. I think I have almost every Sports Illustrated cover that he came out on. Yeah. And so, I'll well, keep... I mean, me, 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 and you could have a good memorabilia shop. I, I moved out of my childhood house last uh, last August, and I have all the the sports cards, the memorabilia, yeah. the the 
the jerseys, the Sports Illustrated, the Wheaties boxes. I got them all. So yeah. uh, we could open up business one day and make some money <laughs> off, off the go. I'm going to hold you to that. It's on. It, we, I'm recording this, so you can't back out go. now, Coach. So, uh, I, you know, you talked earlier about your experience in high school and, and playing the game. What was the experience like for you as a player? Yeah, so, you know, I played at, at the Solbury Prep School in Pennsylvania where we were really good at the time when I went there. Um, you know, every year we had multiple Division One players um, coming, out of, coming out of the program. I played for a legendary coach named Cleet Christie. Um, and it was a really small high school. There was about um, 85 kids, 7 through seven through 12. Um, my sophomore year I played with Andrew Bynum who went on wow. to be a, a really good pro, ended up leaving the, the school when I graduated to go to St. Joe's McCutcheon, but um, I played there and I played with seven division one players. And when you play with guys that are really good, that go to the, to the schools like, you know, Colorado, Stony Brook, Tulane, when you play with guys like that and you're not as good as them at a young age, but you still love basketball, you try to find a way to stay connected to the game in any way that you can. Yeah. Um, so what happened was, you know, I ended up going to Lynn university in, in, uh, Boca Raton, Florida, and I really wanted to play uh, the game. I wanted to just be on the team. And when I got there and I realized how good those guys were and I wasn't as good as them, I had to find a way to stay around the game. So in the Division Two level, there's usually only a head coach and maybe a graduate assistant. Yeah. Um, so those guys ended up giving me the opportunity to work for them in a student assistant role where I got to do a lot of video breakdown and I got to do a lot of you know, player development and get in the gym and get shots with guys. And you got to remember something that in Division Two, there aren't any bodies. So when yeah. there's someone around to do that, those players' eyes, they just light up. Like, you know, like you can really help them. Yeah. Um, so my experience as a player was I was a good high school player. I probably could have played Division Three somewhere. I wanted to try to go and play at, at a little bit higher level. It didn't work out. But through that experience, it taught me just how I, I have to be really unselfish i've got to serve other people i got to be a good teammate and that that eventually led me to get into coaching which is kind of the root of coaching is just a servant mentality for your players and you know i look back to some of the experiences i had in high school and just being a good teammate and that's kind of what i remember more than you know playing against jr smith and st benedict's and danny hurley yelling at me that i couldn't shoot on the sideline like i remember <laughs> i remember the experience of being a good teammate and being good to those guys and being happy for when those guys got signed scholarships than anything else. What a great lens to see things sometimes, right? And yet we don't realize it uh, because we're still kind of in the moment of being a player and in, in the mode of competition, even against our own teammates for time and, and not having to be on the bench. But, the, but that lens to look at and see those, those players, your, your peers, and their, uh, their growth and their development in the game, yet you had an, a different growth and development that was happening within you as far as, uh, you know, being prepared for what was to come in your career. So with that being said, Coach, uh, who influenced you to go into coaching, uh, you know, kind of getting that idea of still staying in the game? Yeah, so you know what? I, I really give all the credit to who made me want to get into coaching to the 13 guys that were on the roster um, my first year, 2004-2005, um, at Lynn University. And why I, why I credit those guys was, like I said before, 
when you get into coaching in the Division Two level and there's not a lot of people around and you're in the gym with them getting shots on game day and you're watching film with them at 18 and 19 years old and they're 21, 22, 23. We even had a kid on team that was 28 wow. at the time. Uh, when, when you're getting to know those guys on that level and they're asking you for help and you're helping them and then you go out to the court and you see them succeed, that's when the itch, that's when the addiction really yeah. starts to kick what you want to do and this yeah. is how you want to help. And that team, we won, we saw a lot of success and what a lot of the things that I was around those guys with or working with those guys, I saw them have success in that. And that's when I really got the adrenaline kick into like, I want to do this. You know, you know, it wasn't a, a high school coach that gave me all the confidence in the world or it wasn't a, a guy I worked out with that made me that said you could be a great coach. No, it was those players that just needed someone to shoot with them and needed someone to talk to. And, you know, my roommate was a six, eight kid from Denmark who didn't play. And, you know, by the middle of the year, ended up getting on the court, playing a lot of minutes and ended up getting a scholarship his last two years. And just like being in the gym with him at 1130 and shooting and working on jump hooks, like those guys influenced me more to get into coaching than any other person. And I, I love those guys, and I talk with them all the time, and they were in my wedding, and we spend a lot of time now um, talking back and forth. But those are the guys that I credit to getting me into coaching and, and essentially keeping me in coaching because since I got that experience, I, I never wanted to experience anything else. Coach, so kind of going down the line of where you've been as well, uh, you know, you were an ops guy at Florida Atlantic. How did that serve you? Is, you know, you, like your, your time as a GA and then your time as an ops guy. How did that serve yeah, you so, as an assistant? Yeah, so, you know, I was a I was a director of basketball operations for one season at FAU before I went on to be an assistant coach. And I was a GA at Indiana um, for one year. And those were great experiences. But the job to me that every young coach should try to get into is being a video coordinator. Yeah. That, to me, is the job that, Real, if you're a basketball guy, if you're a basketball junkie, that job is going to help you more than anything else that you can do in basketball. You know, before Spolstro became big, there wasn't a really big video room boom that there is now. But being in the video room, it gives you a great, it's like getting your master's in, in coaching because you're around the game. You get to see different acts, see different play calls, you get to see different different ways teams defend things and when you're doing it at that high of a level and you're logging as many hours as you can in that film room your basketball acumen becomes very 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 good and you become very very valuable to other people on staff because you could speak their language so being a ga and being an ops guy was great but i felt like those jobs were a little bit geared towards just helping you know the day-to-day flow Whereas when you're a video guy, you're helping the end result. And that's yeah. one of the reasons why I think any coach should try to get into, any young coach should try to get into that role as soon as you can, because it really broadens your mind. You know, it's like you're, it, it, you know, it, it's like you're studying algorithms. You know, that's kind of yeah. the way it is when you're in there. And it really helps you. And there's stuff that I learned in the video room, you know, 12 years ago and, and, and that I still apply to today. You know, and, and being an assistant coach now, you can make your own edits and scouting reports, and you can't do that if you didn't have any, you know, experience in the video room, learn how to work stuff, and learning really how to watch film and break down tape and make scouting reports and different things like that. That's great advice, coach, because you're you're 
you're giving a, a, a cheat code for some guys to really, you know, we had Jacob Ammerman on early on and you know, he's a video coordinator at UFC and he kind of spoke about his experience and, uh, you know, just how much FaceTime he had with the head coach, with Coach mm-hmm. Dawkins. And, uh, mm-hmm. man, that's invaluable, like you said. That's something that you may think at first, well, I don't get to do this and I don't get to do that. No, you actually get to spend time with the coaches. You get to get, like you said, an education in the game. The You know what they know. And that's, man, that, that's, that's a sweet deal if you ask me. Yeah. And uh, and so I'm glad you brought that up because we have a lot of a lot of uh, coaches out there, whether they're high school or or, or where, whatever level they're at right now, always DM me and say, "Coach, can you have some guests on that can kind of give us some insight on how to kind of break into the business, if yeah. you will?" And so I'm glad you said yeah. that because that kind of speaks to them as well. Yeah, uh, no question. All about getting in that video room. It's just the more and more you can be. You know, it's like it's like shooters get a lot of good reps. You know, shooting the ball, coaches get a lot of good reps watching film and studying film and breaking down film. Yeah. So you're, you know, going from Florida Atlantic to Florida and then Chattanooga and then UMass. Uh, you know, having worked with a number of, you know, high-profile coaches, uh, what were some of the key leadership principles that you walked away with that you learned from them? Yeah. Well, you know, I, I, I've had the, the pleasure of working for some really good coaches, guys that I think are going to be in the Hall of Fame, and then other guys that I think, you know, should be in the Hall of Fame. Granted, some of the jobs they did at some really tough spots, you know, and, and there's, th- there's three head coaches that I work for that really stand out in my mind um, for guys that I really took a lot from. But then there's also a lot of assistant coaches that I work with that I learned a lot from that either were head coaches, became head coaches, or about ready to be head coaches. And you know, from the head coaches, you know, with, with Coach Donovan, the biggest thing that you learn, I think anyone that's worked for him will just, you know, talk about the fact that he's got no ego and it's never about him. And when you've won national championships and you've been to Final Fours and it's never about you as a coach in a business where the power can easily get to you is one of the most impressive things. Yeah. You know, and I took that for him, just how he carried himself. It was never about him. He, he never had ego in anything that he did, and it really bled into how his teams played because his teams played very unselfish with good ball movement and good spacing. And I think that's all kind of just who he is as a human being and you, who he is as a coach that translates to the other things. You know, the other thing with, with Coach Donovan is, is just being normal. You know, like I just yeah. think he's a normal guy, and that's what makes him so um, addicting to be around. Is he's just a good person. He's just a normal guy to be around. Like, he doesn't have any complex about him. And I think that's why people love working for him and playing for him. And not just assistant coaches, but GAs, video guys, trainers, secretaries, they all love him. Um, you know what I mean? And I think the third thing with Coach Donovan is the importance of being accepted. You know, he talks a lot about love, care, and acceptance. And when you're young in coaching, you really don't know what the accepted piece means. Um, and the older that you get, the more you realize how much each player wants to be accepted by their teammates, by their parents, by their coaches. And he put a lot of stock into that. I think that's really what made him so good at just connecting players and getting the most out of them from a mental standpoint. So those are some key things that I learned from Coach Donovan. Um, you know, Coach Green was another guy that I think is going to end up in the Hall of Fame one day. Um, you know, he had a saying the first year I was with him at Indiana, um, where we were six and 26 and he had this saying, it was plastered on his desk 
and I never forget it. It was, uh, it was climbing is easier than hanging on. And, you know, when you're going through six and 26 trying to build a program, you know, you think that climbing is just getting out of the bottom. Um, but you learn in life that you're always climbing and it's way better to be climbing, whether it's better yourself and your profession as a father. It's always, it's always better to be climbing and improving than just trying to hang on and stay safe. Yeah. And, you know, now to this day, you know, 33 years old with a four year old kid, like I think about that all the time. Like, am I, am I being a better father or am I just maintaining? Like, that's yeah. kind of what I live by. And a lot of that was, you know, that was Tom Green, the way he was and the way he was wired, um, you know, as a coach. And the other thing with Coach Green is just the investment that you show to your players that you want them to be good. And I think with his case of developing pros and guys that weren't very highly ranked, uh, you know, Trell McNeil, Lips Matthews, Nicola Depot, Dwayne Wade, and the list, Steve Novak, the list goes on with Coach Green, is just he cared about those guys and cared about their game yeah. and showed it to them. And I think that that's what made him so good. And that's what made guys like OG and OB end up being pros that weren't even projected to be drafted before they came to Indiana or Marquette. Um, because he just showed people that he cared. He showed those players that he cared about their game. Yeah. So for those two guys, I think those were the most important thing I've learned. And then the last guy that I worked for is, is, is Janini. The guy I want to give credit to that I worked for is, is Dr. John Janini from LaSalle. Um, people don't understand the type of job that LaSalle is. It's one of the hardest jobs in the country. And he got them to a sweet 16 and he got them to an NIT and he did some great things there. But with Janini, he showed me that you got to be a good person to everyone, you know, treat everyone well and be who you are and be a good person and don't let basketball or your competitiveness get in the way of being a good person. And I'm going to tell a quick story about him just yeah. so people know what type of person he is. Um, there was a player that we had in Vernon Goodrich that was a 6'11 uh, transfer from Mississippi State. And in, in his transfer year, he got hit in the nose in a practice and started bleeding. And Janini took off his shirt in the middle of practice, went over to the floor, and put his shirt as a compress yeah. right on the kid's nose so he would stop wow. bleeding. So he literally gave the shirt off of his back, back yeah. to a player in a practice. And I think that's just like the type of character that he was, the type of person that he was, the type of character that he had to do that in that moment. So... um Hopefully that answers your question yeah, on no. some of the things that I learned from, from some of those guys that might not just be your traditional, you know, what you would read in articles or books, but some just some, some real stuff that those guys are about. Yeah, you know, you talk about Billy Donovan. He reminds me a lot of uh, the transition that Pat Riley had. Tough-nosed player mm -hmm. when he played in college. Uh, then all of a sudden got the slick look, always put together on the sideline, uh, mm -hmm. but tough as nails, man. I mean, those are the kind of guys that are – uh, you know, and you, I, I'll clump in Tom Crean as well. Clinicians, man, like they're the guys that are going to get it done in the locker room. They're going to get it done on the court. Uh, they're going to get it done, and most importantly, at practice. Uh, that's that's how I see those coaches. Uh, they're not yeah. they're not too cool for school, if you will. And, yeah. and that story you gave, coach, that's big time, man. I mean, yeah. from Coach Janini. I mean, that that's that's something that legends are made of because. Yeah. Uh, kids, we talked about it earlier. Kids want to know how much you care. They don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And, yeah, no question. And you could, he could easily just been like, "All right, somebody go get something and 
get his nose. Yeah, fixed or up. or let's go. Or you know, a lot of coaches do the let's go to the other end thing when someone gets hurt. Like yeah. no, like Coach Needs, he took off the shirt off his back just yeah. just to make sure this kid wasn't bleeding all over the court. You yeah, know? yeah. And, and Mike, here's the thing too. When you know I've worked at a lot of good places for a lot of good guys. You know, I worked with some really good assistant coaches too when I was really young. Like I was at LaSalle at 21 years old and I met Ash Howard and Ash Howard's now the head coach at LaSalle. Yeah. And he was one of the most real and authentic people just working with him every day. And now he's a head coach and his team plays like that. You know, his yeah. team's relentless like him. He was relentless in recruiting. He was relentless in making sure, you know, he knew what he was doing. And like that goes a long way. And Tim Buckley, that was a head coach of Ball State, that's now at UNLV, like his preparation and what he taught me in terms of being prepared from a scouting standpoint and watching film and treating people the right way and handling your business like a professional like that stuff is 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 ingrained in you when i was 22 years old you know and then i get older and i work at chattanooga with a guy like reggie witherspoon who might be one along with you know janini and billy and tom green he might be one of the best people in college basketball you know he talks Every time I talk to him, I talk about balance and life and being a father and the art of listening and just the importance of listening, you know, and how serious, you know, everything that you say to a player is and how serious they take it. And like, those are just things from guys that are head coaches or were head coaches that I worked with that I still take every day, yeah. you know, and then from a relationship standpoint in this business, like, you know, I, I work with a guy, Jesse Bob, who is. Who, who literally, you know, shows you that he loves you every day by his friendship. Yeah. And, you know, like the lessons that I learned just working with him on friendship and our wives connecting and him always checking on me and me always checking on him and how authentic, you know, you have to be in this business to really go a long way. Like those are lessons that, you know, from guys that, that you know, haven't had the resume that Billy B and Tom Green have had, but that has made just as big of an impact on me, you know, long term. Yeah, so you're – you're again, you're jumping into the relationship aspect of coaching, which some people sometimes think it's all about your uh, your resume, which that does have a lot to do with it. But uh, what trumps that, honestly, is the relationships, uh, just as it is in recruiting, just as it is in a lot of other aspects in life. Relationships are kind of what make everything go in the college game, and uh, and I and I think. They're so important. How important do you think they are, Coach, within the profession as far as building those, like you said, authentic relationships? Yeah, yeah. I think I think authenticity is the key. Um, you know, a lot of relationships are going to be transactional when you're coaching. Yeah. And what I mean by that is you're going to have relationships with other coaches. You're going to have relationships with AU coaches, high school coaches. And a lot of those might be based upon, you know, transactional things, you know, recruiting or what can you do for me or how can I help you? How can you help me? And those relationships are fine to have and they're good and they're dandy to have. But like, you got to find the, the relationships that are authentic. And those are the ones that are going to come through for you when you need it. And also that you can come through for them when they need it. Yeah. I think a lot of times when you're young and coaching, you just try to make a relationship with someone that you think has some juice or has some stroke because they can help you. And it ends up being kind of a, a flat line relationship. Um, but the, but the ones that are really good are the ones that you make that happen kind of organically and happen kind of authentically. And those are the ones that will last, you know, for a very, very long time. And it won't be like, hey, I'm going to hire you because what you can do for me because I know you're really good at ball. Or I'm going to I'm going to hire you because you can get a player. No, it's more like 
I'm going to hire you because you're about what I'm about. And, and I know when, when we're losing three games in February, you're going to have my back and be loyal. And that's where I think the relationship piece is so important. And I don't think anything trumps that. Um, and, and you look, you know, historically and really, really, really good staff and staff that are really connected there. A lot of times they're based on authentic relationships between multiple people on the staff. Yeah. Um, so I think it's very, it's very important. I think the other thing too, Mike, that's important is you build relationships with not just coaches when you go work for a university. You know, you've got to build relationships with other administrators that are authentic, that you care about, that you're checking on with secretaries, with all those different people, because those, again, are relationships that are really important. You know, we had a, we had an operations girl at Chattanooga named Lauren Mills, and she's not in coaching anymore. She's one of the greatest people you're ever going to meet. And she invited me to her wedding and me and my wife RSVP and like, she can't do anything to help us. You know, she, she can't, she can't get us a job, but yeah. she's a great person and that's an authentic relationship. And we're going to, we're going to honor that relationship for as long as we're, you know, we're here because of the great things that we've done for each other from an authenticity standpoint, more than anything else. I like what you said about the relationships being transactional, uh, because I think there is that, we, we don't talk about it much in the game. We talk more about uh, transformational relationships with players, not transactional, right? Because it's, it's a really uh, cool thing to say a lot, and, but it's mm-hmm. true. Uh, but we don't talk about that amongst coaches. We don't talk about that in those type of settings enough, I think, to where it's like if you had more authentic relationships from the, the say, the college level to the high school or college to the AU or, you know, whatever the case is, uh, I think you'd probably get more buy-in from whoever you're connecting with uh, and not make it just about the players. And I mean, I, I, you know, I just feel like that because I've, I've, I've been on both sides. I've been on the side where I text a coach that, man, when he wanted one of my players, man, he just wouldn't stop. And Mm -hmm. he he would just, it was almost like harassing, you know, like, all right, coach, Mm -hmm. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. And then all of a sudden, uh, I've, I've emptied my nest and all my players are gone. And then it's like crickets when I text. You can, yeah. You leave me on red, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. stuff like that. And, and, I, goes, so and like, I think that's, that's one of the things, Mike, that like when you're, when you're coaching, and it's very hard to get to a lot of places, but it's also, if you can just go stop in a gym for a guy that might not have any players that you're recruiting sometimes, it goes a long, long way with those guys, and they're going to eventually end up helping you. Yeah. Um, you know, if you just check in, say, how you doing, man, thinking about you, how's your team looking, and when they might not have any players, like that goes a long way. And I think when you're a transactional recruiter and you're a transactional relationship builder, like people are going to sniff that out and they're not going to help you. Yeah. And, uh, you know, when you're a young coach, you know, you've got so much on your mind and you're trying to do so much, but, like, if you can just block off a little time to just, to just kind of, um, you know, talk through some relationships that aren't present in the moment for what what you need them for. It's I I promise you it's going to help you in, in in the end. Yeah, somewhere somehow when you don't even think it might. That's fantastic. Yeah, I like that, Coach. I I, I appreciate you kind of you know kind of adding to what I what I what I said because it was just I've seen it and I know there's a lot of there might be some high school coaches out there that had one good crop of players. And then mm-hmm. the next two or three years had just, you know, a good, decent team, but not any Division One, Division anything, guys. 
<laughs> and they're sitting there kind of with their head on their 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 hands like man that I that guy loved me before now <laughs> yeah it's almost like he had no need for me now and I thought we were really friends you know because I, yeah. I I've gone through that I gotta be honest with you I've been through that yeah and people don't talk about this but it but it, it kind of stings a little bit yeah. you know it it, it, it stings it sure and it's, it's it's unfortunate that's kind of the, like a lot of times it's the nature of the business but yeah. if you can be the one guy that's different and you can be the one guy that is authentic it's going to make you look a lot better than the 16, 17 guys in heart. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I, I mean, here again, on the other end, I get it, man. It's a business. You got to get players. You don't have time to waste when it's not, you know, when they have, you know, there's really nothing to, to benefit from that relationship. I, I get all that. Uh, but yeah, you know, the guys who leave the greatest legacies in my opinion are the guys that still stay in touch. Uh, you know, happy father's day, Merry Christmas, whatever the, the occasion yeah. is. So yeah, that, that's great point that you brought up, and I and I really appreciate you doing that. So, coach, you know, feedback and, and being what it is in 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 any profession, and in any relationship, and in any partnership, uh, how do you process feedback or criticism? Yeah, so I think that whenever you get feedback from someone that you're working with um, or working for there's always some truth in there. And I, I think that whether you think it's right or, it's, or you think it's deserved or it's not, you know, there's some part of it that you need to look yourself in the mirror for. And as a young coach, when you're trying to climb the ladder and you're very sensitive about everything, you want to move up and you don't want to look bad. You don't want to, you don't want to screw up. I think sometimes your emotions can get the best of you and you can overreact, but, if you just take it and figure out what that one thing in there is and change it, it will be, it will really help you. Um, I think this too, like if, if as coaches, we ask our players to be coachable as coaches, we need to be coachable too. Yeah. Um, and like, listen, there's going to be a lot of times when, when, when head coaches are very emotional and they might just be mad and they might just be in bad mood or they might just be going at you. And maybe there's 15 things they say that are so wrong. But one thing they say that is that you need to look yourself in the mirror for, you need to be able to change that thing and be able to take ownership in it and, and, and handle it, you know? And I think as long, again, it goes back to the authenticity thing. Like as long as you're working for, for someone who you believe, um, is got your best interests at heart, then you need to take their criticism and you need to, you know, change it, adapt to it and move on. And like, I just think that you don't need to be as sensitive when something's told to you because, there is something in there that, that someone else is seeing through a different lens that can help you grow as a coach and as a person. Great stuff. Yeah. Uh, I think there, <laughs> we talk about sensitivity levels and they're all different. And, uh, you know, you, 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 earlier you kind of alluded to kind of your self-awareness. You had the self-awareness to know, hey, look, you know what? My playing days are over. I need to get into the game. However, I can never stay into it. And so when you're talking about feedback, you got to be really self-aware too in that process and taking out the tone of what people are saying and just making sure you're, like you said, being coachable, man. That's huge. That's so huge because we none of us have arrived. Uh, I have to think about Coach Wooden and how humble he was in his approach to it. And we're still talking about him. We're still talking about his principles. We're, talk, you know, we're talking about his book, Left and Right. That's timeless stuff. And I think it all came from a place of humility. And I think that's how you kind of process feedback or criticism. 
you got to be kind of humble. So, Coach, you know, given your experience and your years of experience and uh, kind of like you, you talk about kind of being educated at a young age and how this business works and how things work and having a great experience in that, what I'm, I'm going to kind of have you finish this sentence, Coach. The life of a college coach is? Rewarding. I think it's very rewarding. I think when you take away all the stress and you take away the, the, the craziness and you take away the, um, you know, the, 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 the very difficult lifestyle that it can present, I think when you rip all that away and you see your players succeed and you see your players do well, I think it's really rewarding. Like I still remember in Chattanooga when we won and we went to the NCAA tournament, just like looking at Justin Toyo's face and Trey McLean hugging his parents like, that was very rewarding. Like that was worth all the effort. Yeah. Um, you know, that was worth the, the years and years and years of driving in your car, going all around, working for nothing. Like I just think it's a very rewarding profession. I think that coaches forget a lot of times that we are in the education business. And when you can help someone grow or help someone learn, educate someone, and then see them succeed and see them grow, that is a very rewarding feeling. Like that's what makes teachers want to teach. That's what makes, you know, doctors want to want to want to be doctors. Like just just helping others. And I think as coaches, we're in that same mold. We're cut from the same cloth. So, you know, life as a coach is very rewarding. Yeah. No, that's great, coach. Rewarding at, you know, any level of coaching, I feel is rewarding. Uh, but the sacrifices that are made at certain levels. Uh, the payoff is just much sweeter when you're talking about what the rewards are for it. Uh, Cause you invest so much time and you kind of uh, neglect other things because you have to set a different priority list. And so, yeah, when you go through those sweet moments, like making the NCAA tournament, I'm almost positive. That is definitely one of those rewarding times that you'll never, ever forget. So coach, you know, we, we've talked about a lot about what you've learned throughout your career, but, is there anything specific that you feel like was was monumental in this journey to this point? Because you still got a long ways to go. Uh, what have you learned about yourself that that's been you know big time for you throughout your career? Yeah, I think it's, I think it's something that I'm learning now more than anything, and uh, that's just balance. I, I think like you know, especially when you didn't play and you come into coaching and you've got such an uphill battle to get where you got to go. You throw everything else. Everything else is in the rearview mirror, and, and and you're just going, and you're just going, and you're just going. And what happens a lot of times is you get really unbalanced as a person. You get really unbalanced with your health. You get really unbalanced with with your relationships outside of basketball. And I think that the thing that I've learned the most, and the thing that I'm learning the most, and I'm spending the most time on, is just regulating that and understanding that you can get a lot done by being very efficient, but you also have to take the other time to take care of yourself, take care of your family, spend time with your, with, with your, with your, in, with your immediate family, spend time with your brother, spend time with your sisters. Like if you can balance that relationship, I think it's really going to help you become a better coach in the long run. Um, and I think when you look at, at leadership, Whenever you're, in, whenever you're not balanced in leadership and you sway too much in one direction, I think you really screw your team up or you screw your mission up, you screw your vision up. 
And I think a lot of times coaches get very unbalanced because they are so obsessed with winning and they're so driven by winning. And, and I think that really prevents them from kind of having a nice dichotomy between what's right, what's wrong, and what's in between. Uh, you know, what's too much, what's not enough, and what's in between. And I think as the more I spend time getting to know older coaches and coaches that have been doing it a long time, the more I hear them talk about that in different ways. And I think me being young and being in, in, in a tough situation, the thing that I've learned the most is if you don't have that balance, whether you're the hardest working guy in the world, it's not going to matter. And you need to find a way to get to that balance because it's going to help you in every single aspect of your job, of your personal life, of your health in every way. You're, you know, there's a holistic approach to, to, to how you do that. Right. And it's kind of what you're running down because uh, it can all like dominoes, man, one after the other just falls. And if it's usually like you're talking about self care, that's huge. I think a lot of coaches, we don't talk about that enough. I should probably do a better job of asking more questions about our health and not just our physical, but our mental health as well. Uh, we talk, we, we love to talk about, and we should, rightfully so, players' mental health. Uh, I just recently uh, you know, interviewed a mental performance coach, uh, and, and I think that's great because that's kind of where, I'm, where I want to kind of jump into that pool eventually as well. But I think about the coaches too. What's what's their uh, what's their mental health? What's their physical health like? Because I've been through both of those type of uh, you know valleys in both those areas, and so I want to know: Hey, you know, are we doing the best we can for our coaches, and are we doing the best we can for ourselves? Uh, because yeah, we know the it's it's college basketball is about the players. At the end of the day, there's there's a there's a good number of coaches that we praise and get a lot of run, but at the end of the day, it's player driven. It's not coach driven. There's no players. There's no coaches <laughs> real simple. And, yeah. uh, and I yeah. think that's, uh, that's something we really need to do is pay more attention to the, to the betterment and the self care and, and help for the coaches. So I appreciate you bringing that up coach. So I'm going to ask this question because I ask it to every guest at the end of the, the podcast, because I think it's just pertinent and important. Uh, even though you still here again, you're a young buck, you got a lot of time to go coach. Uh, as far as a working legacy, something that you're doing right now, something that you can see that you've done in the past and what you look to the future to kind of be your legacy, what would you want that to be when, when your career is all said and done? Yeah, I, I just want, I just want my players to know I cared about them. That, that's really all I care about. You know, like I want, I want my players to be able to say, to invite me to their weddings, tell me when they have kids, call me if they need something. That, that's really all I want. You know, I think the, the more and more I do this, you know, I, I don't, I don't even care about having a legacy. I just want, I just want those guys, the Greg Gantz, the Dennis Mavens, the Ray Taylors that I coached at FAU, or the Trey McLean's, the Justin Toyos, the Greg Pryors, I coached Chattanooga, you know, Juan Pipkins, you know, at UMass, or Sean Holloway at UMass. I just want those guys to be able to say, hey, guess. Hey, I'm getting married, or I had a baby, or I'm thinking about you. That, that's that's really all I care about. And if I can get that done, if I can, if I can make guys feel that way, and I can help guys in any way, you know, grow up and mature, and, and if they can share those experiences with me, then I feel like that's going to be the best legacy I can leave. You know, just just leaving that with those guys, they know they can. 
trust me, call on me if they need anything and I can help them. And I'll be there to, to, to share some of their best times. And if I can do that, then, you know, that, that'd be the greatest job to have is coaching college kids and helping them with hoops and getting that relationship piece from them. Coach, I really do thank you for your time. I'm so glad we made the time and then finally got the opportunity to do this. We've been trying to set it up for a while. And, and I know you've kind of been around the country visiting practices, uh, you know, meeting with coaches. And, you know, I'm, I'm so glad we made the time because I feel like, uh, like I said, your career's got a long ways to go. And, uh, and I can't wait to catch up with you down the line again uh, to do another episode. So thank you for your time, Coach. I really do appreciate it. Uh, thank you. And keep getting good people on this podcast. You're doing a great job. And the more voices we can have talking, you know, about what it's like to be a coach, the better the game will be. Most definitely, Coach. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Creative Coaching Podcast. Know that you are appreciated. So please take the time to listen to us on Anchor, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher. You can also follow us on Twitter at CreativeCoach47. Again, all of this I thank you for. Please leave a rating, subscribe, follow, leave feedback. Uh, this is your platform. So, you know, take ownership of it. And here again, you are appreciated. So thank you. <laughs>